will be preaching from Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The passage says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Josh, <clears throat> good morning, everybody. Um, let's pray if we could. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather together as a family and um, study your word and, and seek to hear from you, Father. Um, you are good and you are holy and you have um, you sovereignly brought us here today, Father. And Lord, I pray for the, the message that we will study that you've taught us this morning. I pray that message would, um, would convict each of us in some particular way. Father, um, guide us into your presence and and hit us with your truth, but um, comfort us with your, um, your peace. Thank you so much for Jesus. In his name, amen. Um, so Luke chapter 18, this is a, this is a really great story. Um, and I'll, I'll refer to this a few times throughout the, the morning. Um, but this is a, it's a parable that Jesus told. Luke 18, 9 tells us Jesus told this parable in a and a parable is, is not an actual event. So the story that Jesus talks about didn't happen, but it's a story that Jesus tells in order to teach us something. And in, in the middle of that, like Jesus could have chosen any character to be in a story that he wanted to choose because he's making the story up. He's writing, he's, he's fictionally crafting the story to tell a point, but Jesus uses a Pharisee and a tax collector, a religious person and a hated person. And I'll talk more about um, what those two things are later. Uh, but the first message in our series on the gospel, we talked about um, a few different things that the, that the gospel does. So fire that first one up there for us, what the, the gospel does. One of the things we're trying to do in this series is to defeat two ideas. One, if I'm good enough, God will accept me. So one of the ideas we're trying to learn about as we continually and over and over and over again talk about the gospel is this, that if I'm good enough, God will accept me. That's not true. There's no measure of goodness that you can have that God will accept you. And then the second thing, I have done too many bad things for God to accept me. I don't know where you are or who you are. I know a lot of your stories. None of you has done enough bad things. None of you could ever do enough bad things for God to not accept you. So one of the purposes and points of this conversation, the, all of these conversations about 
the gospel is to beat these things into our heads continually. And today, when we look at the tax collector, um, whatever it is you think you've done wrong, the tax collector in this culture has done worse. And we'll talk about that later. Um, we're also trying to instill two other things. Hit that next one. Um, we're trying to establish these two ideas. You are fully accepted based on what Jesus has done. You are fully accepted. That's a fact. You are fully accepted. But the, what this statement adds is you are fully accepted based solely on what Jesus has done. And you will never be accepted based on anything you have done or will do. Those, these four statements are incredibly freeing to you, for you. There's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that can be done that hasn't already been done. So you are fully and completely accepted by Jesus. So let's, uh, let's get into the passage. The, the first verse, Josh read it, and I recited it, but I want to read it again because it is vital and, and really forms the basis of really just the gospel And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Here's the danger of religion in this verse. Look at it, because I I want you to think deeply about this. The danger of religion is that I've got this right, you've got this wrong, and because I've got this right and you've got this wrong, I have superiority to you. You, you see, like, think back of, like, I know a couple of you, we've had these conversations that, like, religion breeds superiority. And that's not Christianity. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. But here's the danger. Remember, this is a parable that Jesus told to religious people. Okay? So by, by nature of the fact that we show up in a church... We side ourselves in the pharisaical camp. So, so Jesus is, is creating a story. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he wants to teach people that they have nothing to do with their salvation. They have nothing to do with their righteousness. They have nothing to do with any of that stuff. There is no way that a Christian can be superior or feel superior to any other human being in the world because of this verse. And the, the reaction, the, the general reaction of the religious person, and, and in this church, in this, the context of this church, we've used the, re, the word religion negatively for most of our, most of our days as a church, but, and, and we've also used the word religion negatively to talk about somebody else and not us. But Jesus is talking to you here. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That phrase, trusted in themselves, is is the key and crucial statement that Jesus makes here. The the purpose of the story that he's about to tell is you're trusting in yourself. And then further, you're not just trusting in yourself. That trust in yourself is causing you to treat others with contempt. Now, Here's the piece that is uh, scary in that I think you can see how 
throughout the course, especially of American history, how religion has treated other people with contempt. I think you can see in our current culture how religion treats others with contempt. I think you can think of, of certain classes of people. You can think of, of certain, the, the issues of, of sexuality, the issues of politics. They create in us, our religion has sometimes created in us a condescension towards those who believe differently than we believe or who act differently than, than we would choose to act. Religion does that and begins to treat others with, with contempt. But here's the thing, like, to take that even a step further, like, all of those things, probably for the most part, if you're sitting here, like, you, you don't necessarily do that. Treat others with contempt because of what they believe, who they have sex with, or, or who they voted for. You don't treat those people with contempt. But... You probably, and, and this is where I raise my hand, I treat the people who treat those people with contempt with contempt. Do you, you follow that? If you treat someone with contempt because of the, who they decide to have sex with or because of who they decide to vote for or because of the color of their skin or because of the, the zip code in which they reside or because of anything, if you treat someone with contempt because of those things, I treat you with contempt. And it's probably because, not probably, it's definitively because I believe that I've got Jesus figured out and you don't. And therefore, I can treat you with contempt because I'm trusting in myself. And because I'm trusting in myself and my ability to figure this all out, you're wrong. So, I say all that at the beginning so that we can stop right now and stop thinking that, that this message is for them and not for us. Because this message is for all of us. <clears throat> Verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and one a tax collector. Let me say this. Um, Brooklyn, can you throw up the, that John Piper quote? I want to show you that one. Um, Every verse in the Gospels is to be read in view of the cross. Every verse in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is to be read in view of the cross. Everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did, it had lots of like fringe benefits and, and his teaching and the way he lived and the example that he set are good things for us to follow. That's not what I'm saying. But everything that Jesus said at the beginning of his life, from the, from the beginning to the end, everything that's recorded in the Gospels is about getting to the cross, should be read in view of the cross. Jesus' teaching here is in view of that. Let's go back to um, verse 10. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and one a tax collector. I'm going to spend a little bit of time thinking about a Pharisee and a tax collector and what they came to do. These are two very different human beings that are going to the exact same place to do the exact same thing. And one winds up justified and one winds up not justified. But they're doing 
the actions that they're doing are exactly the same. Two men go at the same time to pray. And again, this is, not a, this is not an event that Jesus is drawing a parallel from. This is a story that Jesus is making up from the beginning. It's purely fictional. Jesus can choose whatever he wants. Two men, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Who is a Pharisee? I think we probably have a pretty good idea of what a Pharisee is. They are religious leaders. They're the preachers. They're the people who have it figured out. They're the, the smartest guys when it comes to biblical doctrine. And, and they're the smartest guys when it comes to, they could probably quote the entire Bible. They're really sharp people. This is a Pharisee. This is somebody that we would, we would hand a microphone to them and say, tell us about Jesus. Tell us about God. Tax collector. This is one that we may not know. Um, our, our little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Help, what's the rest of it? <laughs> Thank you. He climbed upon a sycamore tree to see what he could see. All right? We, like, that's a, a sweet little song that we teach our children to sing, and we think about the wee little man that Zacchaeus was. But that song does us a disservice because here's what tax collectors were. Um, so in this age, Rome rules, basically rules the world. And it's like um, from far stretches of, of Europe, of Western Europe, to far stretches of Central to Eastern Asia. Lots and lots of square foot miles that Rome is ruling at this time. And there's not a lot of Roman citizens, not a lot of Roman people to rule this client state. All right? You follow me? And so what they had to do was they had to raise a lot of money to create a tax system so they could pay people to rule in these areas, okay? So here's what it, so Rome would, uh, read some history books that would say on occasion, once or twice a year, Rome would, would find criminals and they would, uh, in, on the way into major cities, they would crucify people on poles, not like the, a cross necessarily would be, but they would, they would kill people and let them or nearly kill them and, and, and stake them into the ground for miles on the way into a city just so you would see how brutal Rome could be. It's, it's like what we would consider to be like modern-day terrorism. We want to scare you into not revolting or we want to scare you into believing like we believe. And so this is what Rome would do. And they had to pay for this. And the way they paid for this was they would lay taxes at the feet of the people. All right? That, and a, a tax collector did that. But here's what a tax collector was. Here's who a tax collector is. They would literally pay for the privilege to be a tax collector in, to their own people. So... They are paying for the right to abuse and manipulate and overcharge and rob from their own people. Imagine in, in our culture, like it's, it's the, somebody living in the city raising money for, to pay for Jason Stockley's um, defense. That's, that's a tax, in our culture, that's, that's, a, that's a tax collector. These were terrible human beings who had sold out their people 
for the sake of their own financial gain or their own political clout and privilege. This is who a tax collector is. And, and I, like I brought that illustration, and it breaks down. It's not the same. But just try, I, what I want you to do, I want to shock you into understanding that these are terrible, terrible human beings. And this is who Jesus chooses. Again, it's not an event that happened. It's not a, it's not a historical event that Jesus said, oh, this one time this thing happened. This is something that Jesus chose. And what he chose was the worst person in the culture. That's who I'm going to elevate in this story. And the best person in the culture, that's who I'm going to, to, to attack in this story. So, don't think. I think that the tendency in the story is I'm the tax collector, not the Pharisee. But when you say to yourself, I'm the tax collector, you're probably saying more than you realize. Verse 11, the tax collector standing by himself prayed thus. And and again, this may be familiar to you. I want you to see what he actually prays for. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Like my response here, every time I've read this verse, except for this week, is how terrible of this person. But, but I think, God, I do thank you that I'm not an extortioner. I do thank you that I'm not unjust. And that one kind of hits me because there's a lot of times where I am unjust. I do thank you that I'm not an adulterer. I do thank you that I'm not, I haven't sold my people out for, month for financial gain. Like, I'm, I'm glad of that. I'm, I'm thankful for that. Like, what he's praying for, understand that he's praying, and the things that he's praying for are all good things. And then, verse 12, he talks about more good things, stuff that he does. I fast twice a week. That's really good. It's good to fast twice a week. In this culture, you are required to fast once a year. This guy fasts twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. It's good to fast. It's good to give. It's good to give to the church. It's good to give away of who you are. It's good to, to, to serve in your community. It's good to do all of those things. It's good. Um, Throw that, that next quote up there. Uh, this is Matt Chandler nails it with this thing. You see it, Brooklyn? You got it? There we go. Legalism is taking what is good and right and beautiful and using it to exalt oneself and judge others. The action is not legalistic, but the heart is. Think about Look at that verse while I read this to you again. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, good thing. I thank you that I am not like other men, good thing. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. All of those are good things. I fast twice a week. I give 
tithes of all that I get. Nothing is wrong with anything that he's done. Nothing. The legalism, the sin, the error is that he thinks somehow that that makes God be in his debt in some way or owe him something. The action, your actions are not legalistic, but your heart can be. Do you see the difference? But the tax collector, verse 13, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There's repentance there. There's brokenness there. There's, there's lack of trust in yourself there. And there's complete trust in Jesus there. Um, Romans 7, a, a verse that, that Josh read to us last week. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through, our Je- through Jesus Christ our Lord. Um, one, of my, one of my hopes and prayers for you this week and for my own self this week as I was preparing this message was that we would connect with the depth of our own depravity and that somehow, some way, we would see an instance or a moment in our life where we thought more of ourselves, we trusted in ourselves, in our religion. And our religion allowed us to hold others in contempt. I've been praying that we would see an instance in our lives where we would sense that. And we would place ourselves into the story as the Pharisee, because that's who you are. Again, at the start of the verse, Jesus is telling us the people who trusted in themselves and the default mold of our hearts is to trust in ourselves, to trust in our religion, our faith. Here's what we know, here's what we know to be true, and everybody who doesn't believe this way is wrong and evil. I've, I've prayed that we would all get to that place, and we would all understand that in some way, In some capacity, you and I trust in ourselves. And here's the fact. There's nothing in you that's worthy of trust that wasn't put there by Christ. Let me say that again. There's nothing in you that's worthy of trust that was not put there by Jesus. And this is the response. This is, Paul is writing these words. Paul, though, aside from Jesus, probably the, the holiest man that's ever lived on this earth. He did more to, to, to preach the gospel than any other human being aside from Jesus. He understood his sin more than anyone on this earth aside from Jesus. And this is what he writes. If we were to want to model our lives after someone aside from Christ, Paul's the guy. He was beaten. He was, he, like he gave his complete, his, all of his life, everything that he was for the sake of the gospel. He sacrificed so much for the sake of the gospel, even his life eventually. And this is what he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? The point is, you reside in a body of death. Because the default mode of your heart is religion. The default mode of your heart is to to try to do something to please God, to trust in yourself and not trust in God and hold others with contempt in the process. That's who you are. That's who I am. That's who we are. And the response, Paul's question, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And what's his answer? Jesus. Jesus will deliver you from the body of death. Like, it's so, this is where the, the gospel gets beautiful because it's so surface level. It's so simple. But there's, there's so much profound depth to it. You trust yourself for something that Jesus has already done. So, so stop, stop trying and, and worship this Christ and allow him to, to shape you. And how does, how does that change your world? Like, how does it... I, I've, I said this a few weeks ago. I, I feel like religion has taught us this, to draw a circle around ourselves and say, everybody that's not in this circle, you're wrong. <coughs> but there's, this is attacking that. Like, the only thing that's of value in us was put there by... Christ. I want to read the, the last verse, verse 14. I tell you, this man, the tax collector, is who he's referring to, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, this is some good direction for our lives and what Megan led us towards in the call to worship and through our prayers this morning. Humility. I tell you this. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Which would you prefer to be to receive from God? Exaltation or being humbled? I think I would rather Jesus give to me than take from me. And, and at the heart of it, it's, it's humility. And so this is like, practically speaking, we've, we've got to, if we really understand the gospel, and that's the point of this series, is to press in our heads the gospel over and over again. If we really understand it, it has to change the way that we interact with our worlds. It has to change the way we interact with people who believe differently than us. It has to change the way that we give, the way that we serve, and the way that we love to people outside of our homes, but, but also definitely to people inside of our homes and people inside of this church family. What is shaping our world? Is it love and, and service and humility, or is it superiority and condescension and contempt holding? We're a, we are a a meaningless, small, tiny little, nobody knows what's happening here, church. But what if we were just 30 or 40 people that, that understood the gospel and began to proclaim the gospel in every context around us? There's, there's beauty and there's hope to that. <clears throat> I want to end with the, the first verse. And uh, just I, I pray that this would, would sit in your head for the rest of today.
Um, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. God, thank you for thank you for Jesus and thank you for his life and his teaching. God, I pray for those of us in this room, I pray that you would um, teach us in these moments, Father. Teach us where we trust in ourselves and hold others with contempt. God, I pray that maybe even we would forget the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector and instead just zero in on that one simple teaching that you want us to trust in you and hold others with love. God, may we follow the example of Christ who willingly gave himself up, who humbled himself to the point of death on a cross, sacrificed himself, who who though he was in nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but gave himself up, made himself nothing, and took the form of a servant, Father. May we, as a church, make ourselves nothing and take the form of a servant. God, this is not about a person. This is not about a church. This is not about a brand. This is not about anything other than a group of people gathering together to humble themselves to love you and to serve you and to love our community and serve our community with the gospel. And Father, I pray that as, as we as individuals, Father, would you, would you show us where we feel superiority, God. Would you allow us to stop trying to please you, Father, and just rest in the freedom that it's all been done already and be free. God, I pray now you just do your work among us. Convict us. Cause us to repent. Cause us to to be drawn into your presence. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.